talked about how and why that is so important. Why we must know this about God and how that affects our relationship with him and how it affects our walk with him. Well, this morning, I want to talk a little bit about God being our planner, God being our planner. In Romans chapter eight, we find one of the greatest truths in all of the Bible. I think it's one of the greatest truths that um, that is shared with us about who God is, one that it's it's very moving. It is a it is a truth that is really um, such an important truth for us today, and is namely this truth. It is the truth that God is actively working in our lives to bring about His plan for us. That's a great truth that we find in Romans chapter 8, that God is actively working in our lives to bring about His plan for us. You see, God is the master planner of our life. And it's so important that we really understand what that means, to know what it means to have God as the planner of our life. You know, plans are so important, are they not? Uh, Plans can communicate things, they can explain things, they can clarify things that otherwise would be a little bit murky, that would be a little bit like what's going on. Uh, For instance, when I walked up here to uh, the platform, I had this in my hands, and I'm sure most of you are going, why would he bring a blanket and a flashlight and whatever's in that bag? Why would he do that? Now, if you don't know, in this bag here is an actual tent. I can turn it this way so you can see. It is an Ozark trail tent, all right? Now, that still really doesn't explain why I have a tent here. But if I were to tell you that my plans after the service are to go... Uh, into the wild over there in North Edinburgh, and to go camping for a day, then it makes a whole lot of sense that I have a tent with me. It would make a whole lot of sense of why I need a blanket, because if I'm going to go and tent uh, or or go and camp out in a tent, uh, it'd be good to have something to uh, cover myself with, and and, uh, also it would be good to have a flashlight so I can light uh, any, any time that it gets too dark there and be able to see there at night for whatever I need, then a light or a flashlight comes in handy. All of that takes planning on my part to say, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And, and once I share my plans, well, then it starts to clarify even in your mind why I have what I have and why I'm doing what I am doing. Uh, plans have that ability to be able to do that. When you read Romans chapter number 8, we find a little bit about God's plan. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 to to verse 30 really shares with us what God's plan for us is. Now, before we read those verses, I want to sort of just catch you up on the letter of Romans as to what led up to Paul writing this. If you begin in Romans chapter 1, you'll begin to read that Paul begins talking about what sin is. He defines what sin is, and then he demonstrates how sin is, uh, is, is uh, demonstrated in the life and in the society in which we live. He, he tells us what sin is. He tells us what sin did to us. And then as you read chapter 2 and chapter 3, he begins to describe what the consequences of sin are. So as you're reading this letter uh, to the Christians in Rome, and that's what the book of Romans is, it's a letter that Paul wrote to those Christians, he's explaining to them, first of all, here's what sin is, here's what sin did, and here are the consequences of sin. 
you get to chapter number four, and then he begins to speak on the fact of how we can be justified from sin, how we can be forgiven, how we can be declared righteous from sin. And so you, you read chapter 4, he talks a little bit about that. And then in chapter 5, he talks about the security that we have of that fact that we've been forgiven. He says, listen, uh, God, when he forgives you, it's not like sometimes how we've been forgiven by our brother or sister. Sometimes that forgiveness lasts for a day or maybe even two days. And then after a while, uh, it comes right back up. And, and they say, but don't you remember what you did to me? And then you say, well, I, I thought you forgave me for that. And, and uh, oh, I forgave, but I didn't forget. And, 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 and suddenly that forgiveness is kind of like that. But God's forgiveness is not like that at all. God's forgiveness is one that we can rest assured we've been forgiven for all time. And so chapter 5, Paul begins to explain to those Christians in Rome how we can be secure in Christ. And there is security in the fact that we have been forgiven. Then in chapter 6, Paul begins to uh, explain to them that, that there is uh, an importance in why it, is, why it is possible for us to overcome sin. All right. Now that we've been forgiven, <clears throat> now that we're secure in Christ, Paul says, I want you to understand that you can overcome sin in your life. And let me tell you why that is possible. So chapter six, he begins to explain why it's possible that we can overcome sin. And the reason that, it, that he explains in chapter six is because when Christ died, we died with him. And then we yield our members and, and we serve God and, and, and we yield ourselves to God to serve him. And, and we, uh, we reckon ourselves to be dead. In other words, we, we have to have this mindset that I died, but now I'm alive through Christ and Christ uh, will empower me or makes it possible for me to overcome sin in my life. In chapter 7, Paul begins to explain the law of sin and death. So in other words, in, in, in chapter 6, he says why it's possible to overcome sin. In chapter 7, he talks about why it's needful to. He says, you know, there's a, there's a law within ourselves, the law of sin and death, and that law states this, that whatever you do in your flesh is killing you. Whatever you do against what God has said is killing you. You're dying because of it. Because the law of sin and death is this, that when you sin, it bringeth forth death. It's kind of like the, uh, the law of gravity. I know you've heard of that law. That law states that uh, if, you, uh, if I let this, uh, this Bible uh, go, gravity will take it down. It just pulls it down. That's the law of gravity. We, we know that law of gravity. And the law of sin is very much like that. That's what Paul was trying to communicate to those Christians in Rome. The law of sin says that if you live in sin, you will die. Then we get to chapter number 8. Paul has explained why it's possible to overcome sin. In chapter 7, he explains why it's needful to overcome sin. But now in chapter 8, he explains how it can be done. How is it that we can overcome that law of sin in our life and have a new law, the law of the Spirit, the law that brings life into our lives? In fact, someone has described Mount, uh, uh, chapter 8 as the Mount Everest of the book of Romans. <clears throat> and I like that description. The Mount Everest of the book of Romans. And the reason is, is that in chapter 8, 
Paul begins to explain to us as Christians how we can go to heights we've never been to in our Christian life. How we live uh, overcoming sin on a daily basis. How you can live a life every day that honors God. A life that brings not only honor to God, but brings life to you. Brings God's blessings into your life. And so, in chapter 8 and verse number 1, Paul starts saying, There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And then he explains why there's no condemnation. He said, because the Spirit lives in us. The Spirit indwells us. You see, the, the moment that a person receives Christ as their Savior, they become saved. They become a, a, a person that the Spirit of God indwells them. And so he talks about that. And then he talks about how the Spirit helps us. Because it indwells us, he talks about how the Spirit can help us to overcome certain things. He says, there's, a, there's that that there's that part of us, and maybe you can relate to this. There's a part of us in our life that wants to do what is wrong. And it's easy to do what is wrong. The temptation to lie, to cheat, or to steal, it's there. But with the Spirit of life, with the Spirit of God living in us, we don't have to lie, cheat, or steal. We can actually be honest. We can actually do what is right. We can actually love our neighbor as ourselves. So he explains how the spirit of life does that for us. How if you walk in the spirit of life, then you won't really do what the fleshly mind wants to do, the, the sinful side of us wants to do. And then he talks about how the spirit of, of God not only helps us to, uh, to overcome sin, empowering us, but he also talks about how the spirit of God helps us in our weaknesses. And we have weaknesses. Though we have the Spirit of God living in us, there are weaknesses in our life, and, and we need the Spirit of God to help us with that. For instance, the weakness of how to pray. There in verse 26 and 27 of, of Romans chapter 8, he says, you know, the fact of the matter is that most of the time as Christians, we don't even know how to pray. You'll recall that when Jesus' disciples were with him, they asked him one time, Lord, teach us to pray. Paul says, because the Spirit of God is in us, it's going to help us in our weakness of not only teaching us how to pray, but what to pray for. The Spirit of God is that Spirit in us that allows us to live it every day in a practical manner. So knowing that as our backdrop, I want you to notice now in verse 28, knowing what Paul has been talking about thus far, look what he says in verse number 28. Romans 8 verse 28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he glorified. We're going to look at those three verses and we're going to look at why it's so important to understand that in these three verses, Paul reveals to those Christians, God's got a plan. God's got a plan for you. You see, he doesn't just help you live right every day and he doesn't just help you in your weaknesses, but he's got a plan for you moving forward. And before we dig into that, let's ask God to help us this morning as we study 
these three verses. Father, I pray that as we dive into your word this morning, that first of all, you would fill me with your spirit. I pray, Father, that you would uh, use me this morning to uh, be the one to communicate as clearly as possible the message that you have laid on my heart. And I pray that, Father, not only would I be able to communicate it clearly, but that our hearts would be receptive to your word. Oh, Father, it's so important not only to know what you say, but to receive what you say and then apply it into our lives. So I pray this morning as we study this passage, I pray that we'd be challenged by it, but also be encouraged by what we learned this morning about who you are. Oh, Father, help us to focus on you this morning as we study this passage. May you speak to us. May you uh, enlighten us and illuminate us with your spirit. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe that there are three amazing truths about God's working in our lives in this passage that are simply telling us of his person, telling us of the kind of plans that God has and why he has those plans. I want you to notice, first of all, there are your notes, that uh, if we are going to understand God's plan, we have to know something. And it's this, know that God has a plan. Know that God has a plan. It's a very simple statement, but I want you to notice in verse number 28, as Paul writes this, and we know that all things work together for good. And we know. That, that word uh, know is a word that gives assurance. It's something that uh, is supposed to eliminate any uncertainty. In fact, the Greek word there, uh, edo, means to be aware of and consider as a sure thing. Paul says, I don't want you doubting about this. I want you to understand with complete certainty, with complete assurance that you can know that God has a plan. He said, I want you to know this. This is what we need to know. What is it that we need to know about God's plan? We know that God has a plan. What do we need to know about it? First of all, he tells us that we need to know the content of his plan. The content of his plan. See, he says, and we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. You see, he wants us to know that there is uh, a, a content or what the plan is all about. It's to know that things work together for good. God wants you and I to know that nothing happens to us that is going to overthrow God's plan for us. You know, sometimes we can... We can get in our minds that if things don't go exactly as we were thinking, that there's, there's something wrong. That everything's going to turn out wrong. And in, in our humanly speaking, sometimes we make plans. Sometimes you make plans to go camping, but then something comes up and you don't go. You get a phone call and, and, and a loved one's in a hospital or something, and, and suddenly you're not able to go and, and fulfill your plans. And something has just interrupted what you thought you were going to do. You know, when it comes to God's plan for our life, God says, I want you to know that there's nothing that can change my plans for you, that can thwart my plans, that can mess up my plans for you. And I want you to know this. Be assured of this. The fact that I have a plan for you and nobody's going to change it. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives me a little bit of comfort. It, it helps me to understand that when things happen in my life, though it's not what I would have planned, it's what he has planned. 
He said, listen, I want you to know with certainty that there's nothing that will overthrow my plan for your life. No matter what circumstance or difficulty we come across in life, he works his plan for us. Uh, notice in Genesis chapter 50, it's one of my uh, favorite stories in the Bible, and I think it's the best illustration of what I'm saying. God has a plan, and no matter what happens, God always fulfills his plan for you and me. There's a story there in the book of Genesis of a, of a young man by the name of Joseph. And Joseph was just like any other 17-year-old. Joseph was a, a kid that had, I'm sure, big dreams for his life. And, and Joseph was one of, of 12 in his family. He was from a very large family. And, and Joseph was probably like any other teenager doing things and, and sort of having fun in life. But there was something about Joseph's character was, that was very distinct from his brothers. And that was that, was that he was a man of integrity. He was an honest kind of guy. He wasn't trying to get away with things. He was, he was a man that was trying to do what was right in his life. And he has just decided that he was going to do and be honest. Do what is right and be honest. And so anytime his dad asked him about what his brothers were doing, then he had to be honest with his dad and say, here's what my brothers are doing. And most of the time, the Bible says that his brothers had an evil report. That means they weren't doing what was right. But Joseph was. And then God gives Joseph a dream. And he tells him what he's going to be doing in the future. And Joseph shares that dream. And the Bible says that his brothers hated him even more. They said, oh, Joseph, you're going to rule us? The dream there says that we're all going to bow down to you? Joseph, you think you're that much better than us? I think you, you've been letting what dad is saying go to your head. I think you're, you're a little bit too big for your britches, Joseph. You, you think we're going to do that? And you know what they do? The first opportunity they get, they try to destroy that plan. God's plan was, I'm going to put you. I'm going to put you as the head. I'm going to put you as the head of your family. And everybody's like, oh, no. His brothers, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, all of them, uh-uh. No, no, he's not. And what they do? They sold them to slavery. They said, we're going we're gonna to mess up those little plans that Joseph has. Let's, let's see how well he does. Let's see how much we bow to him when he's down in Egypt by himself. Let's, let's just see how, how much his dreams come true then. And through the passage of time, God allows that to happen. Then... While he's in Egypt and he's going up the ladder there in Potiphar's house, he gets falsely accused and thrown in prison. There's another block into the plan. And you think, okay, Joseph, how is it that you're going to fulfill your dreams? How is it that God has promised you that you will do? How is that going to come to pass when you're in a, in, in a prison cell? But all of that God was working. Though there was others that were trying to stop God's plan from coming to fruition the whole time, God was making it work. And in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph at the end of a lie says this to them, to his brothers, to those that were trying to destroy those plans and mess up God's plans. He said, but as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. You know what Joseph realized? Joseph said, you know, you might, you might have tried to mess up God's plans for me, but here's what I know. I know that all things work together for good. I know that what God allowed, it was actually for good. It was good not only for me, but it was going to be good 
for you and your families and our descendants afterward. That's what Paul is trying to remind the Christians there in Rome about. He's trying to remind them, listen, you're, we're, we're, we're living in an empire, the Roman Empire, that hates us, that is persecuting us. We have an emperor by the name of Nero that is burning us alive, dipping us in oil and burning us alive in his gardens to light up his garden. He said, but here's what I know. I know that Nero is trying to thwart God's plans. I know he's trying to mess up God's plans, but you can't, he's saying. Because God's plans are sure. God's plans always move forward as he wants them to move forward. If you read in Job chapter 42, there's another great illustration of that very truth. Job lost everything, lost his kids, lost his possessions, lost everything. But at the end, Job was able to say, Therefore I have uttered that I understood not. Things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Job said, you know, at the end of all things, God, you're right. You're right. Your plan is sure. Your plan will come. So Paul first tells them, here's the context. Uh, here's the content of God's plan. Then he says, here's the context of his plan. Who is this plan for? Who is this promise made to? Well, we see there in the rest of the verse, not only that all things work together for good to them that love God, but to them who are the called according to his purpose. These plans are for those who are the called. Now, here the word called is a Greek word called kletos. This word means those that have been invited to. Those that have been invited to. Those who have received the call and answered the call, if you will. Okay? Uh, in, in fact, that, that word was used in the Greek culture, used like if you were going to have a banquet, you would say, hey, I'm going to Kledos Jim. In other words, I'm going to invite Jim to my banquet. That's what it means, to, to call Jim. Someone, someone needs to go let Jim know he's invited to the banquet. And God says, my plans are for those that I have called that are invited to come. Now, you might be thinking here this morning, am I one of those? How do you, how do you know if you're one of those that has been called by God? Well, that's a great question. Matthew chapter number 11, verse number 28 says, Come unto me, all ye that are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Do you know that God calls everyone? If you're alive today, it doesn't matter what your race is, it doesn't matter what your gender is, it doesn't matter what you've done, God is calling you. He's inviting you. In fact, if you read in 2 Peter 3, 9, he says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should, listen to this, come to repentance. You see, the calling that God has this plan for is for you and me to come to Him. That's the calling. That's the invitation. God says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know that God's calling for you and for me, the first calling God has is for you to repent and come to him. To find new life in Jesus Christ. That is the calling. So God's plan is this. God is, is saying this. I want you to know that all things work together in your life so that you can answer the call to come to me. Isn't that awesome? You know that God is interested in you today. That's what that means. He's not like the God of money. 
that's just interested in how much money you got. He's not the God of pleasure that just wants to make sure that you just have your own pleasure. That you just go and sin. He's not like the God of this world, the devil, who lies and cheats and steals. He doesn't rob you at the end. He doesn't trick you at the end. God says, listen, I'm offering you something. I'm inviting you to something, something great. My plan is all about getting you to come closer to me. This morning, let me just say, if you've not come to him, if you've not repented and found forgiveness in him, why not make that decision today? Jesus said, just come unto me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And whosoever shall open that door, I will come in and sup with him. All I'm saying this morning is that God has a plan. The plan is that all things would work together for those that will answer that call to come to him. But then I want you to notice that Paul doesn't end there. Paul says, and we know, this is for sure, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And then he goes on in verse number 29 and says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. I want you to notice this. Not only that God has a plan, but his plan accomplishes his purpose. God not only has a plan, but his plan accomplishes his purpose. And he shares with us what the purpose of that plan is. God does not have a, a plan with no purpose. He's not just trying to give us something to do, in other words. Sometimes we look at the Christian life like that. It's just something we do on Sundays. It's just something we do on Wednesdays. It's just, it's just that's, my, that's my religion. But you know, God has no plans for religion in a person's life. God has a purpose in his plans. Why is it that God wants everything to work together for those that are coming to him for this purpose? The purpose is this, to conform us more like Christ. You see, God saved you and me so that we might be more like Christ. He says, him who he, he did foreknow, that means God knew, and before you were even born, God knew you. And God said, I have this plan for you. You might not know it, you weren't even born, but I have, a, I have a plan for you to bring you unto myself. And the reason I want you to bring you unto myself is that I can make you more like Christ. See, predestination, and this is a word that gets kicked around theologically so many times, and, and I think it's misunderstood in so many ways, but predestination has to do with the person after salvation. We have been predestined by God. God said, I invite everyone to come, and if you accept my calling, let me tell you, this is what I have in store for you, to be more like Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to make it possible for you to be conformed to the image of Christ. The word there is symorphos, which means to be fashioned like unto. In other words, to be similar to. God's purpose is for us that we might be more like Jesus Christ in all that we say and in all that we do and all that we are. That's what it means to be conformed. That's why 2 Corinthians 3.18, there in your notes. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. 1 John 3.3 says, and we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know what Paul is saying? Man, God has a plan 
but he has a purpose for that plan. His purpose, first of all, is to conform you and me to be more like Christ. Let me give you another purpose of why he has this plan for you and me, and that is to exalt Christ above all things. You'll notice there at the end of verse 29, he says, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, God's purpose also includes Christ's ultimate glory. The word firstborn here means to be first in rank and power, not to be that, you know, uh, God was, uh, that Jesus was begotten by God in the sense that uh, Jesus is beneath God. Uh, there are cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses that would teach that uh, Jesus really isn't a deity. He came out from God. But let me just say that the Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is God this morning, but He is also the firstborn. He is the one that should be the preeminent one, the, the, the number one priority in our life. He is to have the first place in our life. You see, part of God's plan and the purpose of it is to make Christ be number one in your and my existence. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, that's Jesus Christ, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, God's purpose of his plan is this. I want to conform you to more, be more like Christ, and I want to exact, exalt Christ to be above all things. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, and he is the head of the body of the church, that is Christ, who is the beginning, the firstborn, that's the same word there, from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So this morning, Paul said, here's what I want you to know. God has a plan. And I want you to know that God's plan has a purpose to it, to make us more like his son and to exalt Christ above all things, that he might have the preeminence. Then I want you to notice in verse number 30, his purpose is to make us complete. Look in verse number 30, he says, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. Here Paul reveals the completion of this plan. He says, I see the purpose, but when is that going to happen? The purpose, yes, to be more like Christ. And, 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 and Pastor, pray for I'm, I'm trying to get there, but, but when is this all going to come together? And that's what he, he says in verse number 30. You see, at the end of this plan that God has for you and me, that completion of that plan is that we're called, justified, and glorified. Let me break it down really quick for you. That word, first of all, called, is a different word. There it means that he gives us new blessings that we're to partake of. The Greek word there is not, is not kledos like it was in verse 28. In fact, the Greek word here is kaleo. And this is more like partaking. Like if I were to say, listen, I have this cake, but I can't finish it myself. So now I'd probably still call Jim because he, he likes cake. So I'd probably call Jim and say, Jim, come eat this cake with me. Now he's partaking of something that I have. I'm not just inviting him to come and see me and be a part of something. No, no. Now I'm saying, Jim, come in and enjoy this cake with me. That's what the word kaleo means. So part of God's plan is this. Listen, at the end, you're going to come and you're going to partake with me. 
you're going to have some new blessings in your life. Because see, those that he predestinated, those that have come to him, those that he has this plan for, is to make them come and partake of new blessings. But then he doesn't stop there. Then he says, not only will I give you new blessings that we're called, but then he declares us righteous. Though, uh, it says there, those that he, uh, them he also called and whom he called, them he also justified. That means he declares us righteous. To be, to be justified means to be declared righteous. What God completes in us is a, a final declaration of being just. It's like being in a courtroom and the judge says, not guilty. And the prosecution says, yeah, yeah, but judge, but, you know, can you go over the evidence again? I already went over the evidence. The judge says, I saw it, and I'm declaring that this person is innocent. That's what it means literally to be justified, to be declared righteous. Now, I want you to think about this because this is very important. To be declared righteous even though we're not righteous. We've been made righteous. Can you imagine going in a courtroom and right there, part of the evidence is a video of you stealing and robbing a store? And your face, I mean, you're looking right at the camera. How do you argue that? I mean, it would be an open and shut case. It'd be like, yes, that was you, man. There's no denying it. There's no getting around it. You are guilty of that. And then the judge saying, not only am I going to say that he's not guilty, I'm going to say he's innocent. Any prosecution would say, what are you talking about? Judge, his face is on there. He did it. He said, yeah, but I'm going to make him righteous. And the way I'm going to make him righteous is I'm going to put my son in his place. If that judge said, I'm putting my son to do that, I'm making my son be guilty so that he might be made innocent. See, that's what God did. For he hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God so that we might be justified. God's plan is awesome. He says, I want you to come and partake of things that you've never had before, blessings that are awesome. Then I'm going to do something else for you. I'm going to declare that you're righteous. You're going to be innocent of all that you've done. Romans 5, 9, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Jesus says, listen, I'm, I'm going to declare you, God says, I'm going to declare you righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross. But then I want you to notice the last part of the completion of his plan, and that is that he makes us worthy. Look there in verse 30, he says, and those in whom he justified, them he also glorified. The final completion of his plan is that we, were, we who were not worthy have now been made worthy not by what we have done but by what he did for us what he's working in us see to be glorified here is to share in what he is it does not mean that we'll become some deity the the mormons would say oh yes one one day we're going to be like gods we're all going to have our own planet my friend that is not true but the bible does say that we will share in his glory we will not have that glory that is His alone. 
but we will have glory that he will share with us. In fact, Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. God says, you know what the final plan is? That you might share in the glory that I have. I don't know about you, but that's an awesome plan. To know that, and to know, to rest assured, he's got a plan for me. What's his plan? That all things will work together for good so that I might answer his calling. And when I answer his calling, I see the purpose for it. The purpose that he saved me to be more like Christ. That I can be conformed into his image. And that Christ might be exalted in my life and in forever and ever. As the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the completion of this whole plan is that I might partake in those blessings with him. That I might be declared righteous and that I might share in his glory. You know, when you think about God's plan, as Paul just described it to those Christians in Rome, (laughs) no wonder he finishes the chapter the way he does. I want to read the rest of the chapter. Now that you know God's plan, his purpose, the completion of that plan, the culmination, look, look what he reads, look what he writes. He says, what shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know why he can write that? You know why he was saying, you Christians in Rome that are getting burned and martyred for the cause of Christ, you know why you can be secure today? Because God's got a plan for you. And it doesn't really matter what the Roman Empire does. Hey, God's going to bring that that plan to pass. And I say that that to say this in 2018. Listen, it really doesn't matter what happens in your life. It might be that 2018 is a, a year where famine comes into your home. Maybe not literal famine, but, but perhaps something difficult like that, where it's hard to put food on the table, where you might lose your job. It might be that in 2018 you face more persecution at your work than you've ever faced before. Perhaps you've, you face things that you've never faced before in your home, challenges that are bigger than you thought you would ever have to face. You say, what am I going to do? No, know this. We know that all things work together for good. Know that God has a plan for you. When you think about God's plan for you, it ought to change everything. That's why Paul, when he was sitting in a Philippian jail, can sing along with his partner Silas. 
That's why Paul could say, I've learned that in whatever state I am, therewith to be content. You know why? Because Paul wasn't really looking about what about the famine and the pestilence and, and what about all of these things or the circumstances and difficulties in my life. You know what Paul was thinking of? God's got a plan. Man, when you think about God's plan for you, it'll get you through a whole lot of things. And this morning, I just want to encourage you to remember that God's got a plan. I don't know what you're going through, but God's got a plan. God, God's allowed it. And he's got a purpose for allowing that in your life. What, what could be the purpose of this disaster in my life to conform us more like Christ? That he might be exalted above all things. There's just something about someone going through a difficult time that can still say, but, but God is still good. You read the Psalms and David was going through some difficult times, but, God said, but David said, come taste and see that the Lord is good. He said in Psalm 27 that I could see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm simply telling you this morning, God's got a plan. The question isn't, does God have a plan? The question is, are you following his plan? It's not a question this morning of, can I make it through? You can make it through. God's got that plan to help you make it through. But are you willing to follow that plan? found this prayer that was written, and it was titled, Message from God. It says, my precious child, I am in control. I am sovereign. I am able to make things happen the way I want them to go. Yes, I allow you to make your own choices, and I know you don't fully understand how these ideas can operate side by side. But I'm able to work within and around the choices you make to cause my ultimate purposes to succeed. For this, you must trust me. Ask me about your choices and plans. My wisdom is yours, if you'll ask. I want you to cooperate with my plans. When the people around you don't do that, be assured I am still in control. I will fulfill my plan. Their choices are their own, but I'm still in control. Trust me, I'll use it for your good. And that's the message that Paul was trying to communicate to those Christians in Rome. And that's the message we need this morning in 2018. I pray that you'll follow God's plan in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you for this wonderful truth. What a great truth. That you have a plan for us. We don't have to wander around or be scared that, that we're going to be abandoned or that we're going through this life without a purpose. Oh, Father, the fact that we have meaning because of Christ in us is one of the greatest blessings one can know. Oh, I pray that, Father, as, as people, we would remember what it is that you have planned for us. And may that encourage us in the difficult times of life. May we also say, as we think about that, yea, we are more than conquerors through Christ. Oh, may that be what we focus on. May that be what will motivate us and get us through in the difficult times. May we always rely and follow your plan. And this morning, before we finish in this prayer, perhaps you're here this morning and, and you're saying, you know, Pastor, to be honest with you, there, there's never been a time in my life where 
I've repented and accepted Christ as my Savior. You're talking about this plan, but I can tell you there's not been a time in my life where I remember answering that invitation to become a child of God. But this morning, God's plan sounds a lot better than my plan. This morning, I'd like to answer that call. I'd like to make Christ my personal Lord and Savior. Would you pray for me? Would you just raise your hand? I just want somebody to show you with the Bible. I'm not going to embarrass you, but just show you with the Bible how you can know, how you can know that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that you've been forgiven. Is there anyone, anyone like that? And perhaps this morning you're here and you're saying, Pastor, to be honest with you, right now I just going through some difficulties in life and to be honest this message was for me I just need to be reminded that God's got a plan that he's got a purpose for what he's allowing in my life and I just got to trust that his plan is better than mine would you pray for me that I would I would just follow his plan that I would trust him is there anyone like that raise your hand God bless you I see that God bless you I see it I see those hands God bless you God bless you Father, this morning, you saw hands and you saw the heart. Father, I don't know the circumstance and situation of every person. But I know that, Father, you always work. I pray that you would work in them even this week. That your spirit that is indwelling in them would be one that would guide them and empower them. That would help them in their weaknesses. That would help them to overcome any kind of carnal, fleshly, sinful desires. And that, Father, we would just trust in you and the plan you have for us. Oh, Father, may we come together closer to you. May we always remember the purpose of why you allow things. And may we, we, may we just follow to the end. So, Father, work now in, in the lives of each person. May your purposes come to fruition. I ask all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. A couple quick things right before we dismiss. We've got a busy summer, a busy June at church. So for those tonight, we do have our graduating uh, different, the, those graduating from K-5, our high school graduates, a large number there, and our college graduates as well. So we are doing a special ceremony tonight for them. We don't want you to miss that. That starts at 6 o'clock this evening, our graduation service. So we'd love to see everybody back here this evening. Also, this month we celebrate Father's Day. That's coming up a couple, I think, a couple Sundays from now. Uh, in the morning we got a special gift for fathers. And then the evening on Father's Day is going to be awesome. All right, come out. We've got all kinds of competitions. We're going to have a bull come out and see who can ride the bull the longest, the father that can do that the longest. It's not a real one. For all the dads that started to get scared. Um, if you're scared of mechanical, we have, we're going to bring.